We're going to turn to God's Word, to Luke chapter 2, please. And we're going to pick up the reading. Could I add my own words of welcome to all who have gathered this morning? It's good to see God's house so well filled. And it's a great day to be in God's house. Uh, this day when we remember especially the birth of the Lord Jesus. So Luke chapter 2, please. And we'll commence reading at verse 15 through to verse 20. Just a short reading. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Amen. We'll end our reading there and trust and ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word to our heart. Let's just still ourselves before the Lord and look to the Lord to bless us even as we gather around his word, his truth, and focus our minds and attention upon what lies before us in scripture. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father and eternal God, Rejoice, O God, for being in thy presence in thy house. The wonderful praise that has been offered unto thee, Lord, has blessed our soul. We thank thee for the one who is risen, the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus. We thank the Lord for he who came, the one with all those glorious titles, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And now we come to preach of him, and I pray, O Father, that Thou would cleanse me in the Redeemer's blood, that Thou will settle down the congregation that is before me. Lord, we pray that Thy Spirit will come, use the Word, and apply it to all who have assembled, both saint and sinner alike. There's a Word here for all, and we pray it will come with power. To that end, O God, I pray that Thou will forgive me of my sin, wash me from my daily defilement in the precious blood, and fill me with the Holy Spirit, that I might speak as thou would have me to speak. And we pray, O God, that thy word will have free course and that will be glorified. Hear our prayer, accept of our thanks, bring glory to thy great name. For this I ask in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Now the first seven verses of this chapter tell us the story of the birth of the Lord Jesus. As in it, we have a display of the sovereignty of God. I read this morning, while Caesar did it to fill his coffers, the Lord God did it to fulfill his prophecies. The Lord Jesus must be born in Bethlehem. And the fullness of time had come. And so we read in verse 6, So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth a son, her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And that is really all Luke records about the actual birth of Christ. To say that that is understated is to put it mildly. Look, he presents the fact, the historical detail, and he does so in a most straightforward manner. He does not expand on the doctrinal significance. He does not employ all the positive adjectives and power of language at his disposal to describe the miracle of all miracles, the most wondrous event that has ever happened in history. No, he simply states, and she brought forth 
her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Now this all happened in the obscurity of what effectively was a cattle shed, what you and I might call a buyer. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of the Most High God, the Son of David, the Christ, the Lord, the Savior of the world, was born and laid in a manger. Caesar didn't know that it happened. Cyrenius, the governor, he didn't know that it happened. Herod, he didn't know that it happened. The scribes, the Pharisees, the high priests, the, the elders, none of those individuals knew that this had happened. The elite of the country didn't know what happened. In fact, nobody apart from those inside that little shack of a barn knew. But heaven knew. And it didn't take long for heaven to respond. In the fields around Bethlehem, there were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks. In verse 9 we read, And though the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid, a heavenly messenger was dispatched to bring to these men the greatest, most joyful message that mortal man could ever hear. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Then suddenly with that one solitary angel there appeared a multitude of the heavenly host filling the night sky over the hills of Bethlehem. What a sight and a sound those shepherds experienced in those fields. They were treated to a performance by God's angelic choir and heard a composition that was literally and truly out of this world. Now place yourself in the situation of those shepherds. Life to that point had been pretty plain and mundane. Maybe the commonplace routine was punctuated now and again when a wild beast would have to be dealt with or some difficulty with a flood. But I suspect that none of those men thought as they prepared for the night watch that they would be visited by heaven's hosts, bringing them news that a Savior, Christ the Lord, was born. But as soon as the angels came, they went again away to heaven, and those shepherds were left standing on the hillside. What now? Well, that brings us to verse 15 and following, verses that I want to consider this morning under the heading, Responded, Wondered, Pondered, and Squandered. Responded, Wondered, Pondered, and Squandered. Firstly, notice with me the men who responded. Verse 15, let's read it together. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Now we don't know how long the heavenly hosts were there. We don't know how long that great praise service lasted. It doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that as soon as the angels left, these men responded in an obedient, positive manner to the heavenly message that they received. Now, I'm sure it took a little moment for them to gather themselves to collect their thoughts. After all, it's not every night that an angelic choir performs for you in the auditorium of a starry sky. But they all respond spontaneously, mutually, collectively, and they give the same response. Now, the Greek tense of this verb that we have here, this verb phrase, and said one to another, 
is imperfect. That describes something that's not complete. It's a continuous action. In other words, these shepherds kept on saying to each other, let us now even go unto Bethlehem. We've got to go, we've got to go, was their repeated uh, speech to one another. No one was there needing to lead them. No one needed to get them to comply. Nobody needed to coerce them or put pressure upon them, for they were all of one mind to go to Bethlehem, and there was nothing intervening, there was nothing distracting, there was nothing delaying, for they said, let us now go. There was a sense of urgency upon these men. You read at the start of verse 16, and they came with haste. Now, why did they do that? Why did they respond in such a manner? Well, quite simply, they believed. They had faith in the revelation of God. The shepherds point out to us that this is a revelation in their own words. They tell us there, which the Lord hath made known unto us. You see, the shepherds would have knew nothing about this. They would have not known nothing of it, except it was made known unto them by the Lord through the angels. And their response to the special revelation of God is how all men should respond. Now, you and I, will not, we're not going to have a visitation uh, from an angel or from an angelic choir. That was one of the modes by which God revealed His will until the canon of Scripture was complete. But now we have the completed special revelation of God in our hands. The Word of God, the Bible, is the means by which God makes His will known unto men. And you and I, we are to respond to the special revelation, the Word of God, the same way the shepherds did, both saint and sinner alike. We're to respond believingly, immediately, and positively. Sinner, this is how you should respond. Unfortunately, there are many. There's even those who are gathered amongst us in the Lord. Well, He's made no one unto you your sinful condition. He's made no one unto you the punishment that awaits. But also in grace and mercy, He's revealed unto you the only Savior of the world who came to live and die that sinners might be delivered from just condemnation. Ah, but you haven't yet responded like the shepherds. There's been a negative response, a skepticism, a cynicism. There's been unbelief to the message from the Lord. Or else... There's been something or someone that's intervened, that's distracted you. There's a delay on your part. You don't say like the shepherds, let me now go. But no, rather you say to yourself, some other time, not today, not this week, not next week, maybe when I'm a little bit older. The now is missing from your resolve as it was there in the shepherd's resolve. But let me remind you that the Lord says unto sinners, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Sinner, you are to respond to the special revelation of God. You're a sinner. You're in danger. Judgment's coming. There's one Savior. You're to respond by obediently, uh, believingly, and immediately obeying the command of God. But sin. We are to do the same. God reveals His will to us in the Word. 
He outlines for us what is required of us, what we are to do, how we are to serve Him, all those different things. We read our Bible, we read devotionals and books and commentaries, and we hear sermons explaining and exhorting the will of God, and yet we're often filled with unbelief. There's a cynicism, a skepticism, a questioning in our mind. There's a delay. Well, we've often used or heard the expression, maybe even used it, delayed obedience is disobedience. But as God's people, we ought to have and adopt the attitude of the psalmist. He said in Psalm 119, verse 60, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. The shepherds believed that Christ had been born. And they speak of his birth as something that had happened, and it was their faith in the revelation or the word of God that caused them to pursue Christ. For they made their way with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. What they found was exactly what they were told. Though unthinkable and uncommon to everyday life and human practice, as it might have been, they did find a babe lying in a manger in a feeding truck. You see, the revelation of God can be trusted even though it might appear contrary to our finite human understanding. Now the narrative goes on in, in verse 17. And we see another response of these shepherds. It tells us there, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Now this struck me as I read this verse. And I love how the Holy Ghost is so precise in recording his recording of this event. It does not say they made known all that they experienced. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't talk about what they saw regarding the angels or, and what they saw when they visited the babe. I would suggest it would be impossible not to mention those supernatural things that had happened and the wonderful sights that they saw. But read again how it's recorded in verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying, the saying, which was told them concerning this child. What saying? Well, the special revelation of God. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. They made known the word of God, whose central message is Christ. You see, experience does not supersede Scripture. It never does. And that's been the folly and the fallacy of many forms of evangelism or so-called Christianity because people speak much about their experiences. Experiences which many times they're not in agreement and do not align with what the Word of God teaches. You see, modern man is all for the experience more so than the exposition. But these men made known the saying which was told them concerning the child. You see, someone who has heard the truth of the gospel, someone who has believed that truth and has come and found a Savior, they themselves will be witnesses. They will share the message. For some reason, the shepherds were not permitted to testify in court, but God used these humble shepherds as the first New Testament evangelists. 
The angels of God never experienced the grace of God, the saving grace of God, and so they cannot bear witness as you and I can, believer. Telling others about the Savior is a solemn responsibility, and I suggest to you it is an inevitable result of those who have been saved by grace. Now before I move on, I want to jump down to verse 20. And there we see another way in which they responded. It tells us there, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. See, life goes on. And these men went back to their work, but they went back with a different attitude. They were now glorifying and praising God. And that was the same response of the Ethiopian eunuch when he had a saving encounter with Christ. We read there in Acts chapter 8 that he went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way with a spring in his step and a joy in his heart. And that's the true response of the one who has met Jesus Christ. Joy unspeakable and full of glory is the believer's portion. So we have the men who responded. Secondly, some of these points will be shorter. We have the many who wandered. As I mentioned, the shepherds, well, they spread the message that they themselves had heard. They went everywhere in that locality, and they told those whom they met that a Savior was born in, in Bethlehem, who is Christ the Lord. Now, the Jews were waiting for the Messiah. They believed that God would raise them up a deliverer, and so this whole concept, this whole uh, scheme of things was uh, not foreign to them. They had the fundamentals in place. The shepherds didn't need to start right back at the very beginning, at the basics like the evangelist or the missionary or the preacher must do if they're reaching out to those who have no knowledge of the fundamentals like creation. And the fall of man and the promised Savior. No, these men they had a foundation to build on. And so they share the message that the Christ is born. These men, they couldn't contain themselves. They couldn't restrain themselves. But they repeated the astounding revelation of the Lord. And we read in verse 18, And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherd. See, the enthusiasm and the passion with which these men spread the news meant that not some, but that all, that all that heard them wondered. Now, isn't it generally the case that the longer an individual is a Christian, the less they seem excited about it, or at least about sharing the gospel? As the hymn writer said, firstborn light in gloom declines. But new converts, and maybe you can think back to your own days, when you were first saved, when your eyes were opened, your understanding was enlightened, your soul was bursting with joy, your heart was filled with love, and your seal knew no bounds. And the reality of the gospel was so brilliant, so clear, so marvelous, so reasonable, so logical, so suitable, so wonderful, that you thought, as I did think, well, as long as I just share this with someone, they're going to believe. The zealous enthusiasm of a new convert in Christ, it often creates an impact upon the one who hears the message they spread. Where is that zeal gone? 
Where is that joy, that enthusiasm? This world is hard. It's a battle. It's a struggle. But He has redeemed us. And our hearts should be bursting and filled with joy. What an impact that will have. Instead of some outdoor gloom message, witness for the Lord in the workplace. You think about new converts, your own early days. You thought you could convert the world. I did. I thought that at least anyway. Go down the town. Reach out to the people in Macrafeld. The young people going in the clubs. If only they could see this, what I've seen. Ah, but then the battle and the struggle comes. But these shepherds were so full of enthusiasm and passion that it says, all they that heard it wondered. Now I reckon that many of the people to whom the shepherds witnessed knew them. And it had an impact upon them. We read, they wondered at those things which were told them. And this word wondered, it means to, to marvel at, to be astonished. It's a favorite verb of look. He uses it extensively throughout this gospel. It's translated as marveled in other places. And he also uses it in relation, or uses it mostly in relation to people's response to the words and the works of Christ. You turn over to Luke chapter 4, just a few pages, and the verse 22 is an example. And it tells us there, Luke 4, 22, And all bear him witness, that's Christ, and wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. Now we're going to come to verse 19 back in Luke 2. And that's introduced with a word of contrast, but. And that lets us know the sense of this word wondered in verse 18. And the reaction of the many who heard from the shepherds. It's not that these people were in reverential awe or admiration to what they heard. No, it was incredulous surprise. They could hardly believe it. Quizzically wondering, the Messiah? Born in such lowly conditions and not in a beautiful palace? The announcement by angels to lowly shepherds and not the rulers and the leaders in Israel? How can this thing be? They didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to respond. They didn't know whether to believe or not. They never inquired any deeper. They just wondered if these things could be so. This was a natural effect that one would have if a strange thing was related to them. You can always picture their face. Quizzically wondering. Oh, they didn't deliberate. They let it swiftly pass over them. It was a transient emotion, as indicated by the tense of the verb. There was no abiding sentiment for what they heard. And that's how many respond to the gospel today. Did, did God really become man? Did he really? Become a man to save sinners? Oh, surely that's not true. Really? Did he really create the world in six days out of not? That's the sense of this word, wondered. And that's how many treat the gospel today. Oh, they hear a strange thing. Something out of the norm. Something that's not common. And they're there quizzically wondering. But then it passes from them. I wonder, is that like you this morning? Are you part of the many who, who wondered? Really? 
Really? And then back to your old ways. Back to your old sinful life. The many who wondered. Thirdly, notice Mary who pondered. Verse 19, but there's a word of contrast. This tells us the difference between the many and Mary. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. There's a different reaction by Mary. Now between verses 16 and 17, there's a silence. What the shepherds talked about with Mary and Joseph, we're not told. But surely they must have told them how and why they ended up there. And what was told to them by the angel of the Lord and what they heard from the heavenly choir. And those things would have constituted some of the, all these things mentioned in this verse 19. But I reckon Mary would have recollected to her mind what the angel said to her, what the angel said to Joseph, her visit to Elizabeth, the timing of the decree to bring her down into Bethlehem, and the fact that she had not known a man, and yet there she was looking down into a little boy lying in a manger. The son of David, the heir to Israel's throne, the one who every Jewish woman desired to bear, all those things she kept in her heart and pondered them. The word kept has a sense of guarding together. This means she added one thing to another. She was intent on losing nothing. She wouldn't let a new experience or an additional message push out what she had already known and learned. She treasured it up. She kept it in store so as to preserve it from being lost. And she did this by pondering these things. She would run it over and over in her mind. This was her abiding habit. That's again the tense of these words. And the Greek word for ponder. It means placing together for comparison, to bring together one's mind, in one's mind certain things to weigh against each other. And that's what she did. And that's what we call meditation. Now this is not some Eastern transcendental meditation. But this is, as we considered a number of Lord's Day mornings ago, this is setting our minds, filling our minds with whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report. Mary was intentionally remembering so that she would not forget. She was disciplining her mind and her heart. The Reverend Greer was speaking on Thursday morning at the early morning prayer meeting from Psalm 1, and especially from verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he was dealing with the subject of meditation in the biblical sense of the word and practice. A good thing for Christians to do. Matthew Henry, he said this, The truths of Christ are worth keeping, and the only way to keep them safe is to ponder them. Meditation is the best help to memory. It's very important, meditating upon the Word of God. It's a way in which we do not lose what we have already been given. While re reading brings truth into the mind, it's meditation that brings it into the heart. And we are to run over in our minds and our hearts throughout the day the things that we have read in the morning. 
to lay it alongside and compare it with the things that we have already learned and gleaned from the Scripture. That is how, and one of the means by which we grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's a principle, it's a truth that the Lord Jesus Himself taught when He said this here. He said that, For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. Can we say with the psalmist, Oh, how I love thy law, it is my meditation all the day. What Mary did is something that you and I ought to do. It's something we're encouraged to do throughout Scripture. Take the words of the Lord to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1 and the verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And in that verse... You have the precept of meditation, the purpose of meditation, and the promise of meditation. And go and read that verse for yourself. Of meditating upon the Scripture, the precept, the purpose, and the promise. Now what I find interesting in Luke 2, we find that for Mary who pondered, further revelation was given. And this we see down in verses 34 and 35. When Simeon told her, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You see, when we meditate upon the Scripture, we will find that we will get new light and more light, and further things will be revealed. From the Word of God. That's a key part to add in. New light, more light, more things will be revealed from the Word of God. Practically, how do we meditate? Just giving you these points. Well, we, we, we meditate by questioning the Word. Not in a doubtful way, but in an interrogative way. We use those words. Who, what, why, when, where. And that's how we draw forth from the Word of God. I want to read a lengthy quote from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening in verse 19. And he puts it only as he could. And this is what he says. There was an exercise in the part of this blessed woman of three powers of her being. Her memory. She kept all these things. Her affections. She kept them in her heart. Her intellect. She pondered them so that memory, affection, and understanding were all exercised about the things which she had heard. Beloved, remember what you have heard of your Lord Jesus and what He has done for you. Make your heart the golden pot of manna to preserve the memorial of the heavenly bread whereon you have fed in days gone by. Let your memory treasure up everything about Christ which you have either felt or known or believed. And then let your fond affections hold them fast forevermore. Love the person of your Lord. Bring forth the alabaster box of your heart, even though it be broken. And let all the precious ointment of your affection come streaming forth on his pierced feet. Let your intellect be exercised concerning the Lord Jesus. Meditate upon what you read. Stop not at the surface. Dive into the depths. So we have thought about the men who responded. 
the many who wondered, Mary who pondered, but finally, briefly this morning, the multitudes who squandered. The word squander, it means to waste in a reckless and foolish manner. And there were multitudes who squandered their opportunity for salvation, for they did not know that their time of visitation had come. Now, I have to go outside my text for this morning to find biblical support for this. But it's quite easy. John chapter 1. And we read there that when the Lord came unto his own, his own received him not. And that's often illustratively set forth by the fact that there was no room for them in the inn. The Son of God coming to earth was a visitation. It's described that way by John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, in in Luke chapter 1, verses 68 and and 70. A visitation with the intention to help those in need. But his help was rejected. His salvation was rejected. He himself was despised and rejected, and not only at his birth, but all through his life by the multitudes. Christ lamented. That the people of his day had squandered their opportunity when he was near them, when he was among them before his crucifixion. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. And he said in Luke 19, 44, that they did not know that it was their time of visitation. God was walking amongst them. But they squandered their opportunity. They squandered it. What about you, sinner, as I close this morning? Are you going to squander another gospel opportunity? As the Lord has drawn near in the preaching of His Word, this is your day of visitation. Don't be reckless with it. Don't be foolish with it. The day of visitation came for the Jews, and Christ's day it came... But it went. It'll go for you too. I ask you, have you any room for Jesus? I urge you, room and time now give to Jesus. Soon will pass God's day of grace. Soon thy heart be cold and silent. And soon thy Savior's pleading cease. There are multitudes, multitudes, countless multitudes who have squandered their opportunity to be saved. Don't be like one of them. But respond as the shepherds did. Believingly, obediently, immediately. And come and bow at the feet of Christ. He will save you. He will wash away your sin. He will send you on your way rejoicing, glorifying God. Can that happen? Can that be? It can. When the guilt of sin has been dealt with and the burden is removed and you know you're ready for heaven. What a joy He will impart. What a peace you will obtain. Respond as the shepherds did. Don't just wander for a little moment. Don't just squander like the multitudes, but come to Christ 
this morning. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Let's bow in prayer. And can I just make myself available as the Lord's servant to boys and girls, to young people, to others that are gathered. I know it's maybe Sunday evening, the gospel invitation is given out. But you can come and speak to the Reverend Greer and myself this morning. Slip around the side of the building, in through the door at the side here, into the minister's room. Oh, what, what, what a wonderful Christmas it would be if you would come to Christ, received, and have your sin dealt with. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank the Lord for thy presence. We thank the Lord for all the praise that's been offered up. It's been a real blessing to our soul. Thank you for their children, the young people who have taken part. Brother Andrew who read, those in the instruments. We thank the Lord for the preaching of the word. We thank the Lord we take our template from scripture. We're not so much speaking about experience. but Lord, we thank thee we can make known the saying that was made known unto them concerning this child, concerning Christ. We thank thee for the Savior. And we pray that men and women, young people, boys and girls, will trust in him. Lord, we pray that you'll bring us again to your house this evening. Fill this place out, not only with people, but Lord, with thy presence. Lord, we pray that thou will, Lord, take us now to our homes in safety. Watch over us. And Lord, we pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Spirit, would be the portion of thy people, both now and forevermore. For this we all ask in Jesus' precious and his worthy name. Amen.